post-draft Motown Megacast. I am one of your three hosts with me, Paul and Ryan. I know, I know school's over for Ryan. Are you done too, Paul? Yeah, just finished. Uh... I just finished my last assignment last night. Let's go. That's, it's, it's, it's been a long year or a, a long semester with all just doing it online. And I think I'm, I speak for all of us when I say, I think we're glad we can just focus on sports, even though the only sports we have to focus on now are the Pistons for four games and uh, the Tigers. And I, I think I'd rather watch Payne Drive than watch the Tigers at this point. So that's why we distract ourselves by talking about the Lions. Precisely. All right. So we've got a lot to talk to. Pretty exciting draft. Um, first, I just kind of want to talk about the philosophy of the draft. Uh, I think we saw this kind of develop on Twitter, um, especially after that. I think it was really after the, the, the second D tackle was taken with the third round pick. I think we got a pretty clear cut analysis of what kind of philosophy this was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they definitely, um, Brad Holmes wasn't drafting for needs. He was kind of, like, actually starting here at, you know, square one, where you don't draft for needs if your needs extend across the entire roster. So, at that point, he just took his favorite guys, you know, guys that would fit his scheme, fit what he was looking for, like, character-wise, and... Yeah, Brad Holmes just got a bunch of his guys. I think that was yep, yep. Was that at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, it's a combination of getting his guys, and um, I think along with that, obviously, is the best player available. Because there was a, a, a lot of de- debate about that kind of going into the draft. Was like, and especially once we got past like the second round pick, was that D, D tackle, and we're like, man, we have a lot of more needs. Like we have more bodies at the D tackle position. Like it's it's not necessarily a position of strength for the Lions, but there are warm bodies there and, and that's more than we can say about the linebacking position and the um and basically the entire backfield um but like you said the, he really just focused on getting genuinely what he thought to be the best player and a lot of times that also happened to be, mo- be the most athletic player on the field and then you look at that like even watching the tape afterwards especially on twitter like right after it happened just looking through and watching highlights they they all had the athletic streak going through them of course, they're NFL athletes. You're going to expect them to be quite athletic, but I don't know. A lot of them just had that different, that that kind of intangible, almost um, next level. I don't know, especially the first, like, three picks. Yeah, it, it was clearly obvious that Holmes is going for size, and he's not trying to win the Super Bowl this year at all. Because if he was trying to win the Super Bowl, he would have done what Patricia and Quinn did, draft team needs, but also draft the wrong player and coach him horribly. I think <laughs> I like the little addition at the end there. Um, I, I, do, I know what you're saying, though. I, I agree. Like this showed, uh, and honestly, this is what kind of won the draft for me, um, was just that he knows this is going to be a long rebuild. Uh, because you heard, I was a little worried. Um, the uh, Sheila Ford was talking about... Um, early last season that she thinks this roster can still win a playoff game. You know, they're talking, hey, Quinn Trisha had her convinced that they could actually pull off a decent run in the playoffs with that roster. And there's just no world in which that could have happened. I mean, you you put even like a Mike Tomlin or, or, or you know, one of those coaches with just a story background and just can bring it to be- together a, a locker room. 
I don't think even they would be able to turn that roster around. So it's good to be, it, it's good to know that this organization is finally shifting towards, okay, we know this is going to be a deep rebuild. It's not something we can, like you were saying, pick for need right away. And we saw that a lot with Quinn Tricia. We saw that way too often, especially for schemes. It's almost like sometimes they weren't drafting for even positional fit. It was scheme fit. It was so specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, I mean, we're going to get into the prospects in a sec, but Onzerike was like a defensive, or like he was like a nose tackle in college, but that's just because that's how Washington ran their defense. Like, he's not going to be playing nose tackle at the next level. So they're just drafting him for kind of how his skill set, how they see his skill set slotting into one of their, you know, schematic fits. Yeah. All right. So it's been talked about to death. I think we hit it on the nail there. It's just the, the philosophy was best on the best available on the board, according, not, not according to the big boards, specifically according to Holmes. I think that's also important to, to mention because there were times where, um, at least I, I think it's a little bit, Hard to say because people like Mel Kuyper kind of um, take positional value into account when making their lists. So they're not necessarily going to actually put the best player next. But um, And that's why like you see someone like a defensive tackle, maybe not quite as high as others, even though positional is better. Right. Um, so he just picked his guys. So let's talk a little bit about the moves around the league. Um, let's talk about the Bears first. I think, I think, Ryan, you can kick us off here because I think you were the most disappointed out of the three of us. Yeah, so as we all saw, um, um, when we were sitting at pick seven, Panay Sewell and Justin Fields were both there, and you know we obviously went with Sewell, and then you know on Justin Fields went all the way to pick eleven when the Bears traded up and nabbed him to get their future franchise quarterback, and. I've I don't know I've sat on this a little bit and I feel a little bit better now about it because I mean I was kind of telling myself like there's a reason that Broncos who need a quarterback didn't pick them like there, there must be a reason for that and you know there's a reason that no teams tried aggressively to trade up higher than 11 so yeah and we saw that um with like with JOK that was an example because I think I think every Lions fan was like screaming at the TV for them to try and get JOK like in the second and the third round uh, but like Sometimes there's just things we don't know. And I think you're right. The fact that he was passed on at number nine and no one after he picked that, no one tried to aggressively trade up specifically for it. was just weird. It's just odd. And despite what Paul might tell you, Teddy Bridgewater isn't the answer at quarterback <laughs> no. for the Broncos. No. I thought it was a very odd thing for the Bears to do, especially trading up, because I thought they just gave up too much and – they're already kind of deep at quarterback. That's not great talent, but Nick Foles <laughs> and Andy Dalton aren't bad QBs. I I just thought it was a horrible move by Chicago. I know I'm in a minority, though. Depth is not an argument you can make for a quarterback. That's not a good thing. If you have depth and only depth and no talent, that's something that is valuable at the defensive tackle position or the back it is not something that is valuable in quarterback <laughs> i mean there are instances obviously where backups come into handy i'm not going to argue that but if all you can say about your quarterback room is that it's deep there is a problem and that's why justin fields was a great pick for the bears and i think ryan feels the same way it, yeah you know I, I think as much as i hate to admit it and you know we'll see there's obviously like we talked about a reason that um he was passed on a few times but 
bold prediction. Andy Dalton will be starting in the wild card round for the Chicago Bears, not Justin Fields. Can I tell you something? That is the worst thing I've ever heard. Um, it's wrong on so many accounts. I can't, like, I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm, I think you could argue that Andy Dalton is going to start the season. But if you think the Bears make it to the wild card on the back of Andy Dalton, I, I'll be sick. I will genuinely be sick right in, right in this room right now. I'll start throwing up. If he couldn't do it with the Cowboys offensive line, and I know the Cowboys defense was garbage, but he had some weapons there and he still was so mediocre. If you think he can put it together with this Bears offensive line with their quote-unquote weapons, you might genuinely be deranged. And you might just be trying to convince yourself that Justin Fields is garbage to make yourself feel better. Because Justin Fields is good. He might be a bust. I will not argue that. But the Bears needed to do this. This wasn't like this wasn't like trading up to get Mitchell Trubinsky. That was a different scenario. Mitchell Trubinsky was not is not the same quarterback that Justin Fields was. Mitchell Trubinsky, I don't I, I mean hindsight is twenty twenty, but even back then I think most of the NFL world was confused because Mitch Trubinsky has such a low ceiling. Like, even at his best, he has a low ceiling. He is not a super athletic guy like Justin Fields. He can't move around like Justin Fields. He he might have better accuracy than Justin Fields. He's not, he's not the quarterback that Justin Fields is. he has better accuracy than Justin Fields. I, That's fair. We, at the NFL level, I, I guess that was one of the things we were looking at in the draft. But once it made it to the NFL... That's true, yeah. I'll say I don't think Mitch Trubisky is better than Justin Fields. So I'm, I'm not going to go that far at all. Okay, thank God, thank God. I, I still think you're very wrong in your in your opinion. that Because two things need to be true for Andy Dalton to be starting the wild card, and that's that Andy Dalton is still the starter past Week 17, and they made a wild card spot. So there are a couple things that I, I don't love about that because, again, I think if the Bears, if the Bears make it to the playoffs, it'll be off the bat. Not necessarily off the backs of Justin Fields, but it'll take a good rookie year by Justin Fields. It's not going to be a rebound year from Andy Dalton. Um. So I yeah I think I think you've got our takes that are pretty good. Uh, Paul's not a fan of the Justin Fields pick, and I think there is something to be said about what the Bears gave up. A first round pick is never something you want to. Obviously, that's not something you want to part with. Those are hard to get, and if you give them away like that, you have to be really confident you got your guy. Um, so the Bears definitely took a risk, but that, I mean, this is a franchise that needs a risk. They've been so close to being decent for so long. It's been the quarterback position that's been the difference maker. Their defense has been championship worthy, truly, for probably the past three, four years. With Khalil Mack on the defensive line and just how solid it is. And Matt Nagy gets a lot of hate, but he's a decent coach. Coaching is decent. Ownership's kind of garbage. Uh, the defense is great. Uh, weapons are kind of leaving, but, you know, it's not a horrible offense. What you need is a quarterback, and the Bears saw that, and they're not going to rely on Mitchell Trubinsky and their deep quarterback room, with air quotes. Uh, they went out and got their guy. So I love the move. As a Lions fan, that pains me. It hurts me because I hate the Bears so much. And they're then, just the worst. <laughs> yeah, and then they followed it up with an almost equally as good pick with uh, grabbing Tevin Jenkins in the second <sighs> round. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, so so they, I mean, beyond that, they didn't pick before round five, so they probably didn't weren't getting a bunch of impact players necessarily. But those first two picks, I think they really nailed it. Like, yeah, I think that's a successful draft for them. Just yep. 
based on and and you know who knows about some of these other guys they drafted yeah i mean the fact that they only had like two above the you said they didn't have a pick after or um in the third fourth then right correct yeah okay yeah so the top two is really what matters in any draft anyway so i i i love the draft they had and again it, it annoys me but i love it and then we go over to the vikings the vikings also had a solid draft let me pull up exactly who they had. They, I, well, first of all, um, they rightfully grabbed Christian Derrissaw when he yeah. fell down to, like, what, 22? Is that where they were? I believe. Let me pull it up right here. But, yeah, that was 20... just, just an awesome pick. I mean, you know. Man, 23rd. Yeah, Christian yeah. Derrissaw at twenty third. That's when somebody falls, like, somebody like that falls that far. Like, yeah, that was a good pick. So, and then they got um, I, I don't know how I feel about it, but getting Kellen Mond, that was kind of interesting, <laughs> right? That's kind of interesting. He was kind of one of the quarterback prospects, like other than the top five, who people were kind of talking about a little bit more. They got a decent linebacker. They got a they got Chaz Surratt. Or Surratt, that was kind of exciting. Yeah, he was one of the guys that I wanted. Yep. yep. And then they got the guard out of Ohio State. So I mean, they got they got some guys. Yeah. I, I actually, they got some guys that are gonna compete. They're third. They're gonna. Yep. They're gonna play right away. Yep. And they're. Th- I mean, they're third round. I, I there's not a third round draft pick I don't like for them. Patrick Jones was a really good pick, I think. Yeah. How the Vikings don't compete more is baffling to me because their rosters are consistently good i mean i know kirk cousins isn't great or anything but they usually have a good receiving core they have a very good running back core with uh madison and delvin cark they have kyle rudolph i, I believe still right he's not a running back no a, a tight end oh no he went i think he uh went to new york actually oh no. anyways too bad and they have a good receiving core. They just can't get it done. It's baffling to me. But now we'll see. I mean, I think this is going to be a very competitive north for three teams. How interesting would it be if Callum Mond just kind of out of nowhere just took the quarterback spot right out of Kirk Cousins' hands? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen I either. I don't but... think it's impossible. I think there is a path for it. Yeah. Yeah, especially since, um, like, I don't know. You've seen a lot of – it might just be like NFL Twitter kind of freaking out, but you have seen kind of a little bit of a split between um, between Kirk Cousins and his receiving team. Like there have been times where Kyle Rudolph, Rudolph kind of gets in his face for, you know, missing a wider – there are times where stuff like that happens. So, you know, Kellen Mann hypothetically comes in and has good chemistry with the rest of the team. That's where if you're Kirk Cousins, you start to get scared of your uh, starting job. Is where a guy comes in, develops chemistry with a decent receiving core. That you know, that's dangerous. But yeah, the Vikings. I hate Viking, or I I hate giving uh, drafts grades at this point. I think that's so unreasonable every yeah. time. But I'd say that's at least a solid B. Like if we're being arbitrary, oh, yeah. I th- I think that's a solid draft. And yeah, I think they got some good value in the later rounds. As yep. Well. Yep. All right, and then let's move on to the Packers. Now, the biggest story of draft night for the Packers, <laughs> it was not it was not the draft for these guys. 
It was the news that mysteriously was reported at the same time by the largest NFL insiders, just within five minutes of each other, that he wants out of Green Bay. Uh, Every other team in the NFC North started celebrating, I think, once they heard that news. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has consistently been the best quarterback in the NFC North with Matthew Stafford. I don't want to say a distant second because I think that's disrespectful to his talent level but pretty solidly in second. Um, Aaron Rodgers has ran this division for almost as long as he's been here. And I I just, I don't know what the Packers are doing to Rodgers. I don't know, like, I don't like the the whole crybaby narrative with him. Because trust me, if there's an opportunity, a reasonable opportunity to call him a crybaby, I will jump on it. Because I do not like Aaron Rodgers. But I don't, the the organization has been kind of crappy to him. They're basically saying, we don't want you next year. We're kind of open about it. We refuse to restructure your deal. Mm-hmm. We're going to draft your replacement last year. I mean, the whole Jordan Love thing, I think that's a big part of this whole... Oh, yeah. The fusion yeah. that's created. No, this is definitely... I think this is definitely, like, a, a accumulation of events that have happened. Like, you know, at the end of the season last year when he said, like... I forget exactly what he said. It was like, who knows who, what my future holds or yep. something. Like... I mean, that was all kind of, you obviously you look back now and like, oh, it's so obvious, but definitely those were some of the, the writing on the wall, I suppose. Yeah, and the fact that they traded up to get Jordan Love, it's not that a great quarterback fell to them. They just straight up traded up to get this guy. Yeah. And quarterback's not a need. The Packers are a team that can win a championship now. And they're acting like they're trying to win a championship seven years from now. Their time to do it is right now. They're not rebuilding, and they're acting like it. And that's why Rodgers wants to leave. Yeah, I, that's precisely it. This is, this is a roster that can win a Super Bowl right now. Right now it can. It could have last year. Maybe a, maybe a field goal decision gets changed up a bit, and they're in the Super Bowl. You know, it like... This is this is not the time to be hoping about the future. Look at the look at the Buccaneers. They t- I mean obviously it's Tom Brady, but they took a leap and they put all the chips into the next two years. Mm-hmm. It paid off once and it might it might pay off yeah. again. I mean they've returned what like literally nearly everyone starters I think insane and it's and, insane. You know, that just kind of I mean they didn't have a big a lot of draft capital, but they were literally just drafting kind of like plugging holes with high upside players it's gonna be such an unbeatable team next year like they have the kind of thing like they may not have the 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 flashiness that like a kansas city does they may not have the playmakers but my god i struggle to find a hole in this team anywhere this is an insane team it's so well built um and and then you have the packers who you know packers are, are a very good roster and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league in aaron Rodgers. And they just refuse to dedicate any any sort of capital in the future. They try and play it safe. And that's why Aaron Rodgers only has one Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers should have more Super Bowls. He is a talented enough quarterback to have more than that. And the fact that he only has one is a stain on this organization. And it's such a joke that they're treating... I, you know, I don't like holding organizations so you have to treat this guy right. But come on, this guy's a Super Bowl for you. He's been your guy. And he's, you know, he's not a Green Bay type guy. He's not... He's a Hollywood guy. You know, he's San Francisco. He likes it down. But he's been your quarterback. He's willing to stay in this cold, crappy town for 10 years. 
And 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 this is what you're doing to him all of a sudden? You're going to kick him out for a mediocre quarterback prospect out of Utah State? That's what you're going with here? It's just, as a Lions fan, I love it. If I was a Packers fan, my ears would be turning red right now. I'd be so mad. It's They're, they're treating this like a joke. Yeah, Rodgers should have four Super Bowl victories by now. This, this is absurd. The fact that they're incapable of going back to the Super Bowl at least every three years under this guy is insane to me. And they don't try to. And going back to like the Tampa Bay thing, I could see this as Brady's year to try to redeem that Super Bowl loss that he had against the Giants in 08 that ruined his perfect season. Because now this could be Brady's chance. Can't go 19-0, but he can go 20-0 and have perfection. <laughs> it's beautiful, Paul. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm as bullish, or not, I am the opposite of bullish. I will never, ever say a team's going to go undefeated. But, man, if there's a roster to do it for the first time since those Pats, whew, this is looking like the team. It's a, like, like Ryan said, they were literally just drafting for need. They did not care about the future. They were just drafting starters who could fill depth. It's just it's just insane. But yeah, the Packers are a joke. We didn't even talk about the draft picks, but I think that shows you about the state of the organization. Yeah, I I was actually kind of surprised that they ended up going Eric Stokes in the first yeah. round. Yeah, um, I felt like there were better corners on the board, and I like Stokes a lot. Yeah, I mean he was like my the one that I wanted at forty one. Yeah, was available. Yeah, and but, so um, they they reached a bit for the corner. I I, I think based on the state of their roster, uh, aside from the murky quarterback situation we just talked about, I think their roster makeup kind of warrants uh, a potential reach like that on a guy with high upside, you know. That's fair. This dude is just athletically just gifted, you know. He runs like a sub-4-3, I think. He's a big, tall cornerback. You know, what they have to do is help out Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Get Devontae another weapon out there. Like this, like the Steelers did. Well, in the later rounds, round three. But get him a serious weapon, like the Steelers had with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. Devontae would play Antonio's part, and their wide receiver two would actually come up with more receptions. And Rodgers would be able to eat that up. Think if Roethlisberger can do it, Rodgers would absolutely dominate it. I mean, so. Like Ryan said, I don't think third round's too far. And I don't think the best argument in defending Rodgers is that he hasn't had weapons. I I don't think that's the best. I mean, he's had a good offensive line, what, the entire time he's been at Green Bay? Yeah, and Aaron Jones with, you know, current Lion, Jamal Williams, backing him up. That was a crazy combo out of the backfield. And then, I mean, they had Jared Cook for, I I don't really remember how long ago that was, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't think... they their share of weapons. Maybe yeah, not necessarily I, the most elite core, or like receiving core or anything, but, I mean, they've had talent. They've had they've had a good amount of talent, so I, I don't know if that's the best argument. Uh, you know, I, I do get what you're saying. I think that's more applicable to last year's draft, though, where they refused to... I mean, because think about if they had, like, an extra-level weapon this year. How things could have changed. If they would have drafted someone besides Jordan Love. I mean, there were yeah. so many opportunities, so I think this year it's a little more forgivable. But man, I'm starting to get the point where I just—I don't even know if Rodgers is coming back. It's—it's. It's oh, yeah. I mean, did you see the reports where, like, in 
like some team group chats or something, he was referring to their GM as Jerry Krause. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. That's yeah. It's time for them to rip the band-aid off for yeah. me. Try and get some value from him if you're gonna he doesn't want to play with you. Yeah, and he hates a, your organization. It's situations like this where I'm so thankful that Holmes was able to just um you know, like an amicable break amicable breakup with Matthew yeah. Stafford, you know, get something out of it versus now they're just I, I you know, who knows what's going to happen. Yep. Yeah, and, and and it sucks, yeah, because it, it feels like you can't properly... It sounds cheesy, but it feels like you can't properly say goodbye if you're a fan. You know what I mean? Like, you, I don't know. This guy's been your quarterback. He has a Super Bowl for you. He's been with you for years. And now you just kind of have to say goodbye in this awkward way where he hates your organization. He hates it. He may like the fan. He hates your organization. And I know a lot of teams called the Packers this winter to talk about Rodgers, I don't think anybody actually gave them a straight-up offer because the Rock, or Packers refused to talk about Rodgers. But the Rams called the Packers to talk about Rodgers. We saw what the Rams gave up for Stafford. I can't imagine what they would have given up for Rodgers. They probably could have thrown Aaron Donald into that deal. No. <laughs> I, I just don't. No. <laughs> No, <laughs> but I do what you were saying. It like if they would have gone for that, but to me that's like a moot point. I like you got to call about Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if they were super serious about that. I don't know if they'd be willing to part with current assets. I think trade or like they're willing to part with trade assets. I don't think they're willing to trade current assets. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things where like uh, you know we heard the report when uh, when the Lions were initially looking to trade with the Rams. Uh, for Stafford the Lions asked for Donald and you know you might as well just test the waters like yeah I mean what, what would it take for this person you know like nothing hurt that. no harm no foul I love that he yeah he just comes in and is just like hey you know maybe maybe give you your best player I don't know I don't know I don't know so yeah that's you know that's the moves around the league um the big news really Vikings and Bears unless you ask Paul had a good draft I think both of them Vikings were just well-rounded. Uh, Bears went out and got their guy. And the Packers are just kind of confusing. The most stable organization in the NFC North finally looks destabilized. That's great to hear. I love it. Uh, so let's get into the actual picks then. Let's get into the Lions. That's what we're here for. The Lions. A fantastic draft. We've already already talked about it a little bit. Uh, about the philosophy. Best man available. And if we're going to talk about the best player available, we have to talk about Sewell first have to talk about Sewell. Do you want to, um, before we start, just really quickly go through each pick? Yes. Yeah. Good idea. Let's see. So first at number seven, we had Panay Sewell, mm-hmm. um, left tackle out of Oregon. Um, he was 20 at the time or he's 20 currently started as a 17 year old. I mean, second youngest player in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the best, um, left tackle prospects, like in a while. We'll get into that later though. Um, next was the defensive tackle out of Washington. Oh, Levi. You want to say the last name for me? Onzerike. I got it before the podcast. I just got worried. Onzerike. <laughs> Levi Onzerike. Another solid pickup. And this is where we, you know, we talked about it a little bit. We were confused at first. Uh, the third round draft pick for the Lions was Liam McNeil. Another defensive tackle. 
Um, again, I'm going to pass the, the mic over to here, uh, over to Ryan, so he can pronounce the cornerback's name. That was the fourth round draft pick. He was at the end of the third. Afatu Melifon. Oh, that's yeah. Right. The they're the supplemental draft pick that they got from the Rams. <laughs> yeah, corner. I Afatu. 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 Yeah. Mel. Melifonwu. Melifonwu. The last name is pretty name. much just Melan- how it looks. But yeah. Melifonwu. I heard. Melifonwu. Okay. Okay. Um, and then another just great name. Amin Ra St. Brown, wide receiver out of USC. Um, then go just going down, uh, linebacker Derek Barnes. Mm-hmm. Running was, back, Jamar Jefferson. Yeah, and Derek Barnes was acquired via a trade-up. Oh, that's right. So they yep. saw the guy they wanted. Yeah, so they, they ended up trading um, their, you know, their fourth-round pick, their fifth-round pick, and then also getting – or. And then what was it, next year's fourth-round pick? Yeah, something? yeah, it was next year's. And then we got the seventh-round pick that turned into Jamar Jefferson. Yeah, so um, linebacker has been a position of need for the Lions. Like, that's all we've talked about the offseason. Uh, there was even some talk. We would have not liked it, but there's some talk of a linebacker early in the first for the Lions, um, which would Thank have been— s- Yeah, that would I'm have been— so glad he went to the Cowboys. Oh, such a— such a move of the old regime to do that kind of thing. Just pick a linebacker because he's quick and because he fits your scheme. Just the most Quintricia thing. No, if it was Quintricia, they would have picked a linebacker who runs a 4-9. Oh, you're right. What am I talking about? He's way too fast for them. Never mind. He's great in coverage. And he, no, you're he's right, though. It did, it did kind of feel like I'd, the kind of thing the old regime I, would do. Just like, I don't know. It just makes sense. I, oh God, I... I don't think I've ever hated a regime as much as them. Like, I, like even with the Tigers right now, the Mike Illich, uh, what's-his-face combo is still... Avila. Avila combo is, is... They may be worse, but it's still, to me, not as hateful. All right, so let's just talk first about Mr. Panay Sewell. So I, I kind of watched a little bit of tape of him specifically. I'll talk a little bit about that. And after I'm done with that, what we can do is just kind of talk about him because I'm sure... Specifically, Ryan. I know Ryan kind of has his ear to the ground about this kind of stuff. I'm sure he has some fun facts and just knows a little bit about them. So I'll kind of go with the tangible stuff here first. So like we said, 20 years old, he came in and just stole a starting job when he was 17. Just insane. On a uh, And the Oregon Ducks are known for their offensive lines recently. They've yeah. had great offensive lines the past like five years. Well, I don't know if you heard this anecdote, but um, I, I think it was Shane Lemieux who got drafted last year i think um he was on that uh offensive line when panesu got there and you know this guy's about to get drafted like really good offensive lineman and he goes up to the the line coach i think or the head coach or whoever and he says we need this kid starting this true freshman he needs to start like just insane dude. yeah like a, a very highly just esteemed offensive line just you know it, it tells you all you need to know about how much success he's had in the past. And, you know, hopefully we'll you know, just can see that trend continue. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he came in at Oregon, showed it off. And let me read you a couple reasons why. These these are um, these were his pro day stats, so it's not as, you know, it's not as reputable as, like, uh, the combine. But he ran a 5.09 second 40-yard dash for, you know, it's pretty decent for a big boy. Um, yeah, he's 330 pounds. He is he is a large human. 109-inch uh, broad jump, 28-inch vertical, 
and he ran a 7-8 on the three-cone drill. So, I mean, just if, if, when you consider a side, that those are all pretty decent numbers. Like, those are all pretty solid numbers. Um, and that's really... The, the tape with Pinay Sewell is just raw talent. You, you turn on a tape of him, he just dominates plays. Um, when he... He doesn't just want to block people. He wants to dominate the play. Like, you'll see highlights where he will just run someone over. He will complete the play. If he's got, like, a hold of the defensive end or the defensive tackle, he will just run him to the ground if he can. It's it's not about just momentary protection. It's not about, like, saving yourself for now. Um, it's just, he's just a savage. And he's so fast. I think that's the thing that popped out to me most on the tape. Because when you watch uh, a lot of, like, line line tape off especially offensive line tape obviously a lot of it is just kind of decent pass protection and solid like solid pancakes half of these dudes highlights were running down the field to help plays there would be like a halfback screen they'd screen him to the and he would just run over and run down a linebacker he'd catch up to a linebacker and just run him down like he could he this is one of the best like you know as a kind of a rookie to tape but one of the best tapes i've seen of just a guy who can run down field and just blow people up. As an, he's so fast. Yeah, and you know, usually um, when you're watching or like scouting offensive line film, you kind of don't really want to be noticing them. You know, you want them to be like just holding their own and like not just, like not whiffing on blocks. Just kind of you know something that you don't notice as much necessarily when watching like a play develop. Um, but but with Sewell, it's like there i don't know he's kind of like a playmaker at that position which yeah I, I think that's the best way to describe him is to describe him is you can you know you'll be able to see his impact based on the the holes he'll be able to create or just like the movement and depth he'll be able to get when when blocking you know it's yeah he, he's gonna be a fun he yeah a fun he's watch for it, sure. it, yeah it's hard to linemen go precise it's hard to say an offensive lineman's gonna be a fun watch but with this guy, it, just go watch his tape. It really is. It's fun to just watch him run down the field as a 330-pound guy. A huge man. A hulky man just running down the field and blowing up a linebacker. Just blowing up defensive backs even. It's just it's so fun to watch. He's so fast. And because of that speed, he is an amazing zone run blocker. Like if you watch the zone runs, he's good. Not necessarily because he has good fundamentals. He just gets there so quick and knows where to position himself. So a run will get set up and zone run. Obviously, you kind of you need a as an offensive lineman, you kind of need to adjust. You need to read the zone. He just goes there immediately. And it, like, even if he wasn't that strong, the fact that he's so fast and knows exactly where he's supposed to go, he can just sit there and immediately set up a good run. Immediately, like w with a left tackle like that, you can almost guarantee at least like three yards if you run to that side every time. He just knows where to go. Um, so I think run. Uh, Running is kind of his specialty, especially you know those zone runs and then those outside, outside kind of to the left, to the right. Oh yeah, just running down the field and blocking. Yeah, he's a good pass protector though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what he uh, maybe allow one sack or no sacks throughout college. Let Something me pull it crazy up. Let like me pull that. it up while Paul is talking. He wanted to say. Yeah, I really hope that this opens more opportunity for Jared Goff to pass mm -hmm. to Hawkinson on the line and not only that but open up the opportunity for say jamal williams to make some catches in the backfield or deandre swift so so many opportunities there on the offensive line they just re-signed their center 
to go along with that. Mm-hmm. He's the highest paid center now in the entire NFL. And this regime really cares about their offensive line. I know they didn't draft many offensive line, only one in the draft, but it's a high priority for them. And you give Goff a good offensive line, he can play with it. Wow, and I'm looking right now at um, at, at the stat. He had 678 career pass-blocking snaps, so 678 snaps in which he was involved with. Over two years, just one sack. That's wild. I, that's yeah. wild. And the fact that he's not – that's not necessarily his strength. If you watch his tape, it's not necessarily – Yeah, he's more of like a mauler in the run game. Kind yeah, of. yeah. He's the guy who will get downfield. And, well, and, but that's – I think that's part of the beauty is that kind of just goes to show how well-rounded this guy can be. And, you know, just his through-the-roof ceiling, especially the fact that he's still 20 years old. You know, you yep. can get – 10 years from now, he's going to be 30. Like, that's, that's a pretty – I mean, maybe a little bit past a normal offensive lineman's prime, or maybe right in their prime. And, you know, 10 years of production out of anybody is, like... And good production, too. Like, this, uh, he just... And that's the name of... Or, that's what it is with Penisul. It's so much raw talent. He he just has so much... Positionally, it's kind of hard to say like he has more raw talent than someone like Jamar Chase or um yeah like Jamar Chase you know someone like that someone who's explosive and you can it's, it's more tangible, of a tangible effect, yep yeah. yep a more tangible effect on the score of the game it just is more exciting to watch but this guy is explosive for an offensive lineman he's so fast and he fits that perfect scheme that that Holmes drafted for just that that character guy who's all about family. He's all about just dominating. He just he wants to destroy everything in this path, and I, I love it. Um, let's lead into a little bit of my concerns that I got from watching tape, and let me let me set a disclaimer here. The concerns, quote-unquote, will be nitpicks because there's not a lot to nitpick with this guy. He gave up one sack in two years at a, you know, in a Power 5 school. It's nothing to scoff at. Um, but... First, a concern that I, I saw a lot uh, was arm length. Yeah. 30, 33 and a fourth um, inches. You know, it's for that position, you want you want, you want want length. Um, I, I think what kind of puts me at ease a little bit is, you know, you want arm length so you can kind of make up maybe for some speed or some, like, you know, catch somebody out in front. But I, I just think Penesul is just not going to have an issue, like, getting to his spots and you know where no. he needs to block so that's why i'm kind of like i don't think he necessarily needs that cushion i guess because he gets there so yeah, quick. yeah like like he'll i think his athletic profile just kind of will like overcome that or make up more than make up for the uh deficiency yeah yep and another deficiency that i saw while watching um, two things that kind of go together. Uh, no, I guess not. Um, first, uh, technique needs a little bit of work. But this is to be expected for a 20-year-old. I mean, it just makes sense. Um, but a lot of times he just over-relied on his raw talent because he's been so much stronger than everyone for so long that he's he has that ability to, you know, maybe he doesn't give 100% to a play or doesn't get into position, but he'll just destroy someone anyways because of how strong and quick he is. So a lot of times you see in the tape where like you have a really talented defensive end, kind of get around him. Um, 
and the Pac-12 is not necessarily known for pass rushers. So I think that's going to be a bit of an adjustment. The thing is, like you said, his athletic profile is so strong that I have no worry about him just developing some techniques. Right, and I, I think just based on his uh, kind of his character, his demeanor, like he certainly seems like a guy that will just. I, I think he'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly, and he'll have you know really just good mentors on the line and like yep. Taylor that, Decker, that's, Frank Ragnow. Yeah, the and good then mentors. Him and Jonah Jackson can kind of grow together i guess and i think you know i I think this really has the makings of what could be a special offensive line yeah yeah i mean the 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 building blocks are there like and like you said a lot of these guys will be here for at least five plus years like even penny penny if he's good you can project him like up to 10 years oh yeah like five guaranteed yeah yep um so another i i don't i'm gonna read this to you guys i i don't understand it um, in his draft profile, um, there was some anonymous scout, like what scout said after meeting him and what a scout from the NFC North says work ethic needs to be worked on and is a little uh, immature. I mean, I have no real, real reason to believe that that's no, entirely true. I don't think we've seen anything from work ethic. Uh, See, and this is my theory with it. I think he's taking it cause my biggest flaw with him, honestly, was consistency um, some, especially in pass protection. I know on the on the table he only ha- gave up one um, one sack, but a lot of times he allowed pressures because he wouldn't necessarily finish. Like he wouldn't do that thing that we can see him do, where he just uses his strength to overpower someone. There were some where he slacked a bit, and I think that just has to do with technique. I think that I don't think that has anything to do with work ethic, especially his family moved from America Samoa, you know, to to specifically to be in the NFL, like. This is a pretty big deal, so I'm not a I'm not a scout, but I I think don't worry about that. Don't worry about that nitpick. That his work ethic needs to be worked on. No, I I just don't see that. And one uh, kind of quick final um, criticism that I've seen is you know just him switching positions from left tackle to right tackle. Yep. But I he played right tackle in high school, and I think when you have that kind of skill set and that kind of athletic profile when you're when you're drafted based on athletic profile and not like technical proficiency it's easier to make that yeah and and, you know there are already tools there obviously like he's not uh, some guy who just is an athletic freak and hopped on the field for the first time like he's he he has good technique and that's part of his upside but there's definitely room to work and i'm i'm really excited to see what this uh current regime can kind of get out of him yeah and i'm sure they're not gonna move him from one side of the line to the other if he's just not comfortable they'll they'll figure it out so I, i'm not really worried about that he'll, he'll play regardless yeah so that's i mean that's panay soul in a nutshell insane raw talent maybe needs to adjust his game to the nfl a bit but i don't think that's a problem yeah i have no concerns i have this guy i have no concerns i think it's gonna be just a I think it's going to be he has almost no bus transition that yep. that we'll see in this rookie class. I mean, I, this might be a, I mean, not a hot take, maybe a little bit bold, but I, I mean, I could definitely see a world in which he's just the best production-wise in the first round. You know. Yep. Yeah. I, he's just there's almost no bus potential here with this pick. 
Um, so next, so the second round pick, um, one that kind of shocked us with people like JOK on the board projected in the first round with, you know, some guys that we were both very fond of, some receivers. Um, but, you know, I honestly had didn't know much about him before, but after they picked him, after I watched a little bit of tape, this guy, this guy's exciting. He's also an, he's an exciting prospect. And very similarly to Panay Sewell, dude has raw talent in spades. Uh, Levi Onzerwerke. Oh, oh my God. Onwazerke. Why am I not saying this right? Onzerike. Onzerike. That's, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Onzerike. That's what it is. I have it spelled wrong here. I did it with a W instead of a Z. Okay. Onzerike makes way more sense. Levi Onzerike. He's 6'3. He's 290. The 290 part is somewhat of a concern I, I've seen. Um, so I, I guess it really depends on where they envision him. Because if he's kind of playing the uh, like Trey Flowers role where he's almost more of like a big defensive end or like interior pass rusher, then I think his size is pretty pretty apt for that. That's so, fair. So it depends on if they see him as more of, you know, one of those guys or one of the more interior guys. I think you and I are in agreement that he's not going to be used as a nose tackle in his yeah, defense. No, though. I, <laughs> That's such an odd, that was such an odd choice uh, in Washington. And Washington is, I mean, that's not a, it's not an organization you can scoff at Washington. I just, I, you right, do, yeah. what were you doing? I, it's just interesting. Oh. Yeah, I, I think it just has to do with kind of, I don't just how they've always ran their defense. Like they don't really have the traditional expectations of a nose tackle. Like he's not there to eat up blocks and and uh, stop the run necessarily. Like he might be more of an athletic guy that's supposed to pass rush. So I think he kind of already has some of that pass rush background. Yeah. Yep. And so so the name of the game with this prospect here is QB pressure. Uh, lots of his tape. If you watch his tape. He's just a disruptive player. Um, he's a bit of a project with some things, but like if you watch his highlights, wow, he, he can just use his speed and strength, especially considering his size, to just break into the backfield. And he's fast in pursuit too. That's the thing is like he, he can chase down those guys. He can chase down the Aaron Rodgers and he can chase down those quick guys who usually have a bit of escapability. He can shut them down. He's, he, he pursuits well. Um, and he just shows flashes of brilliance there. I think that's the best way to put it with this guy is he shows flashes where you, you see him and it's just you're like that. That is a, that's a first round talent right there. That is a first round talent doing that. Um, he, uh, his biggest asset probably is his speed, his speed and the strength for his size just sneaks into the backfield, gets pressure. Um, in terms of criticism with him, he wasn't very productive. Um, and again, though, We've already talked about this. That might have been more had to do with kind of the mishandling. Um, he wasn't necessarily lined up in the way that would have been the most productive for him. Um, he's used as a nose tackle. He's more that kind of, like you said, Ryan, that big, big pass rusher, maybe interior defensive line who likes to get after the, the QB. Um, yeah, and no, I, I like this guy. I thought it was a strange pick, especially with JOK on the board. But the D tackle wasn't not a team need. You know that they could have used a D tackle. Uh, another guy out of the Pac-12 that seemed to be a common theme for the Lions in this draft, drafting four Pac-12 players. 
but he keeps the big guy theme going and he's quick for his size and Lions need lots of help on defense if I'm not mistaken he ran a sub 5 second 40 I think I have it right here he ran a 486 yeah and that's that's nuts yeah like yeah I, I think between and obviously we'll talk about Ali McNeil in just a second but I think between those two they really they got some guys that they believe will just kind of be able to just cause a lot of havoc with like at these athletic traits and you know I'm, I'm really excited to see how this d-line kind of develops and you know how fun would it be if the if the lions had one of the most fun young up-and-coming d-lines because yep. you know we're also waiting to see like how julian okwara is gonna play romeo okwara we got him to you know i i think this d-line does have some potential that we haven't seen since like 2014 yeah, yeah, and um, and when you draft guy like, that's what this defensive line was missing as well. It was kind of that explosive athlete because um, they were not productive. They couldn't get it to the quarterback or to the uh, to, yeah to the quarterback. But again, that was the Patricia scheme. Right. <laughs> like getting to the quarterback was not a part of the Patricia scheme. Yeah. And now that they're kind of changing to to realize, oh, in the National Football League, you need to pressure the quarterback. <laughs> um, and you know. It's kind of sad that it took an organization that long to realize it, but I, I'm glad they're finally turning the corner on that. Um, when you get guys like Onzerike, it's specifically to get to the QB. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, guys like Trey Flowers, you know, I, I really wonder, like, how much more of a future they, he even has with the team because, like you said, he's kind of geared towards more of that Patricia-type off or defense where it's kind of like, you know, big, stop the run, and... I guess kind of just defend against the like not necessarily like doing these crazy stunts or blitz or like having a lot of athleticism it was kind of like these big bodies to eat up space and yep you know and that's actually kind of one of the weaknesses of uh Onzuriki as well um he he's not a run stuffer I mean that's fair that I don't think it's you know not everyone can do everything well but he's just he's just not a run stuffer he can't control gaps, uh, especially if it's you know if he's double teamed, he's done. Um, that was one of the problems for sure. Uh, but again, he's he's drafted as pass rusher. He's he's not going to be put in these you know third and two stuff the run scenarios. He's right. going to be put on the field when you need to pressure the quarterback. Mm -hmm. All right, and who knows? Maybe maybe he can kind of add it to his repertoire some more even if not necessarily like plus run defense and maybe he can become just a league average or maybe a little bit above and he has the strength to do it that's yeah. the thing he has the strength and the athletic profile to become average or even a little above average as a run stuffer it's just currently like i, I couldn't tell it was kind of hard to tell in the tape because it, it happened so often but he just couldn't he couldn't control the gaps he couldn't fight through those double teams and it's unfair to ask a player to fight for through double teams i understand that but you got to expect at least a couple of times where you at least give a little bit of a fight and it just seemed like he gave up when he got double teamed but again the most important thing for here is he, he's a pass rusher he's an athletic guy he's fast and like you said ryan i think there is a very reasonable case where he becomes an average a league average pass, or a pass protector or excuse me pass run protector good lord um and another uh, again another weird scout comment i found that i just found funny he has really skinny ankles <laughs> <laughs> although he said balance didn't seem to be a problem so skinny ankles 
balance isn't a problem. So that's Onzerike, pass rusher. Has a little bit of flaws. And he can improve it, though. And I love this pick. Again, another pick I love. Um, like you said, Paul, when I when we were first watching this, I was a little annoyed. Um, defensive tackle was not one of like the needs we needed. That was not something we necessarily needed. But watching the tape, kind of taking a step back and realizing that this isn't Patricia, we're not drafting to win this year, I love the pick. Yeah, I think it took me one day to uh, convince <laughs> myself that all the picks were the exact right picks that we could have made. Just, Twitter doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> it really um, doesn't. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I think my biggest thing was even more so than JOK, I wanted uh, Trayvon Merrick there. The yeah. I, I thought that, um, I don't know, I kind of just felt like that would be ideal. And that might be my one kind of gripe with, just specifically in that instance where I think they could have gone with more of a, I don't know, gotten more value maybe. And I guess that's kind of, again, that's unfair to say. And it's kind of pointless to like give draft grades post-draft. But I just thought that um, Merrick was a playmaker. And I, I really thought he could have stepped right in and become kind of like one of the mainstays in that defensive backfield yeah been that player um so anything else to add with that ball all right so let's move on to the next defensive tackle taken which was the right after that the third round draft pick aleem mcneil you want to talk about it a bit ryan yeah so aleem mcneil is a nose tackle from nc state and um he's kind of got a (laughs) squat short body frame at um just under 62 but almost 320 pounds um but he's like we were talking about with Onzerike he's one of these guys that just has a a very intriguing promising athletic profile you know he's in high school um I'm sure everybody's heard this a bunch of times but he played baseball he was an outfielder he was a running back and a linebacker at like 250 plus and when he came to NC State, they just had him book up. They wanted him kind of as more of an interior guy. So, I mean, he never, like, he, he always had that athleticism, even when he bulked up. Like, this isn't a guy who's always been as big as an NFL defensive tackle. So, so that kind of helps him. And even though he's a nose tackle he will probably be able to he'll be like a disruptor you know he'll be able to move the pocket he'll be able to push he'll be able to get pressures and who knows maybe he'll be able to um provide some upside and plus pass rushing from the interior that's something that the lions haven't had in lord knows how long but um but yeah i think just between these two guys i think they really could have a special a a, a really solid foundation going and i'm excited to see what they'll be able to do because there's a there's a good chance with Aline mcneil that he's going to slide right into that starting nose tackle position because his his uh competition right now is john penasini like he he played good for a sixth round rookie but he's still a sixth round rookie from last year so um so yeah i think he's gonna have an opportunity to play a lot right away and i'm really excited to see what he'll be able to do yeah um Aleem, he's he's so athletic. Um, 
he's not necessarily like as quick as some of the other guys we've talked about, but he does possess that disruptive ability. He he can break into the backfield, and he showed potential to be kind of that bull rush guy who can kind of blitz in. Even though as he's a big guy, he's a real he's a pretty big guy, but he still shows that potential to. I mean, with with a combination of explosiveness, like that explosiveness he has and athleticism, he has very well the opportunity to be like, I don't know, to start disrupting. I think this pick showed that Holmes really wanted to fix up that D line as soon as possible. He saw that as a bigger long term need than the backfield, at least right now, because. Going to D tackles in a row without hitting the defensive backfield, I think it's still questionable. I wouldn't have done it. I don't hate the player. I think the player, I think McNeil is going to be fine. I think he's probably going to play uh, his first season. But I probably would have uh, went out to the defensive backfield if I was Holmes. Uh, well, and I think, I mean, we've talked about it, but that's kind of just a testament to what what they were doing. Because, like, you know, I think probably, like, um, positional need versus scheme fit, like, there was such just anything, any, anybody that fit the scheme and was kind of, like, considered, uh, you know, one of the best players available. So I think just he wasn't really too worried about you know, oh, I need a safety. Let me go get a safety. It was more like, oh, this guy fell to us. Let's take him while we can. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, kind of, Paul. Like, I, I do. I th- like, even though he's drafting best man available, there is there is something to be said about, you know, what if the positional, the guy perfectly fits your position and is talented too. But um, it shows the dedication to the defensive line. And I think that's a great... I think that's a great ideology to have as a head coach is like, hey, we start through the lines. If we don't win in the trenches, it's such a stereotypical thing to say. But honestly, it's so important. If you don't win in the trenches, you just won't win. And that's what he's showing. He's going to come in here and he's going to build a big, strong defensive line. A very athletic offensive line, too. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I love this pick. I Again, it took me a second, too, because uh, two defensive tackles right after each other this this high i was a little i was a little annoyed at first especially when we had linebackers on the uh, like we had linebackers available that were pretty good Mm -hmm. um so i get what you're saying paul but in the end like watching tape getting to know this player a little bit i i just love him and the fact that he played baseball that's just so interesting to me Mm -hmm. he's an outfielder and he Mm -hmm. it's just crazy he's an athletic guy um Picked up relatively early in the third round. He's projected kind of in the second or third round area by like the NFL. Uh, but as far as the defensive tackle go, I think that's that's as solid as you're going to get in the third round. Yeah, and I think he'll kind of fit like a glove in this scheme. And I just think, you know, as, as far as what they could have done, I guess in terms of like potential for offensive line or defensive line in that aspect, I think they did about as well as you could so i guess if nothing else you know we kind of have that to hold on to is we have that foundation for our defensive line like if if all goes well that group is set you know yeah and and again like we can't give draft grades right now 
And a lot will depend on the success of these two defensive tackles. Because that's like two years down the line, neither of them are starters. This draft will be considered a failure. It just will. But again, with like with the athletic, the amount of athletic power this guy shows, it's just it's hard for me to say that he can't. Okay, and then the next Lions pick here, uh, they actually swung around and they ended up getting another third round pick. And with it, cornerback out of Syracuse, Ifanwu. Mela Melafonwu. Wait. Ifatu. Ifatu. Melafonwu. I almost got it. God, I almost had it. Uh another guy who they just got great positional value for. This guy was projected second round, especially if you look at his size and like and the strength. He is six two and a half, two oh five. He's he's a strong guy and you know, he has the profile to be a starting safety. Yeah, and this was one of the guys that I actually had, uh, like, highlighted as um, potential day two picks. Like, even as high as 41, this was a guy that I... That might have been a little rich for uh, rich for my blood, but... But, um, yeah, he was a guy that I was um, kind of excited about. And, and to get him at 101, I think that was awesome positional value. Um, yeah, to have this guy fall, you get a defensive backfield... Team need, talented, and he fell to you. Why wouldn't you take him? He has everything that I want. I don't know if he has everything that Brad Holmes wants, but he has everything that I want. Yeah, he he's, a, again, it, it seems like we've said it with every single one, and that's because it's consistent throughout uh, strength and athleticism. He can just. There are times where he just he can just smother targets like right off right off the bat. He can just he can just cover like a he can cover like anyone in the league, and he has the strength and he has the size to do it. Yeah, he's a tough guy. Um, I love. There's there's no problem with this pick in the third round, late in the third round. You snag a guy projected in the second round, who could with this defensive backfield could very well come in and start pretty quick. Although, you know, it's kind of a hard, it's a hard position to jump right into, especially if you're kind of a late around guy, but still, this is a guy with, with the situation the Lions are in could very well come in and start pretty quickly. Right. Well, and hopefully, um, hopefully he doesn't have to come in and start, you know, hopefully he'll get the chance to like sit behind, you know, they got Quentin Dunbar on a one-year deal who, if he works out, you know, maybe could stay or if he does work out for that one year, um, just kind of groom uh, Malafonwu and to maybe take over that position later or you know you also have Okuda and Oruwarie obviously and hopefully um, hopefully I, I was kind of hoping they would pick up another nickelback but you and you have Cornell there there um, so you have guys that are already primed to just be a, ahead of him and hopefully he'll get the opportunity to just kind of take it slowly and in stride sort of mm, not how Okuda was kind of thrust into the flames. Yeah, and you know? and this cornerback room is starting to get pretty good. Um, in terms of ceiling, I guess right is yeah. a better way to put I, it. I think yeah, I don't think any of them have performed well enough yet to like really to go out like, and say this is going to be like as good as the yeah, offensive but, line type thing. But as far as like ceiling, you know, this could be a very very good cornerback room they got young yeah. guys they got well i mean you guys. even hear like jeff okuda and some of those guys talk about the change they've seen in coaching yeah since this <laughs> like oh that would have been helpful last year it's like <laughs> ah 
Uh, it just, it just, I, I'm surprised at how much my dislike grows for that past or, or like, like the past leadership. Like every time I hear a new quote, I'm like, man, they, they were really god awful, weren't they? Um, yeah. and that's actually pretty exciting for Oya to, um, because he already he developed relatively well for he was picked in the third round, fifth, fifth. Mm-hmm. He was picked in the fifth cornerback out of Penn State, and he's already kind of like, you know, he he showed some promise. That's really exciting. Um, and I think Melifanu has the ability to come in there and just strengthen the potential of this. Uh, this backfield is starting to have a bit of a t- potential, and that's something we can't have said for the past two years. Uh, so that's really that's Melifanu. Uh, let's move on to finally an offensive weapon picked for uh, Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown. What the sun god himself? You want to tell us a bit about him, Ryan? Yeah. Um, so they picked up Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, wide receiver out of USC, with their fourth round pick. Um, he slipped a little bit. I mean, he was kind of seen as like a a third round receiver and and he'll um he'll likely uh come right in and start in that slot uh receiver position because you know they don't really have anybody they lost amandola but st brown is uh, almost six feet tall almost 200 pounds and he doesn't necessarily uh project as or he doesn't have a crazy athletic profile i think his 40 time was actually like a four six which is I don't know. It's certainly nothing to write home about. It's it's not a great uh, 40 time, but I, I think um, he does kind of play faster than that. And he, he'll provide one of my favorite um, comparisons I heard, if not even like play style, just like player role, uh, was Robert Woods in the Rams offense. Um, and if he, if he could be that type of like slot guy that you know security blanket over the middle type routes um the same way uh robert woods was well then that would just be you know like an absolute home run of a pick a guy that would be able to get that much contribution and and maybe not even in the first year but if he can uh fall into a role similar to that you know that would just be incredible value for a fourth round receiver yeah, and that's where you find value um, in in receivers is like in the slot position, mm-hmm. and I think that I think they did it right here. Um, he's like the the archetypal um, the archetypal slot receiver. He's not necessarily super fast. He's not necessarily super athletic, but he does he does everything well enough. He he runs a decent route. Um, and he's. This is, see, this is the comparison I've heard a hundred times. Gold Tate. I was going to say, I, I avoided tape. that comparison for you. <laughs> yes. Because I've heard it so many times. It's an interesting comparison, but I don't think it's necessarily accurate. I like think people are just looking at the like the aggressive yard after catch for it. Because he has a hell of a yard after catch. I mean, he yeah. can just... He, he, I mean, he's very aggressive. And I think he can really just power into the like into the backfield once he snags that. So I think that's where a lot of the Golden Tate comparisons are. I think, but I, other than that, I agree. It's, yeah, so... With with him, I think um, he's very very good at like just using some kind of strategic move to get you like the first tackler. Like he's not gonna Golden Tate. I think was a little bit more maybe nimble and like just kind of like strong in the legs. But Saint Brown will just. I think he's just got this technical proficiency to his game where he can kind of uh, use 
like just outsmart you i guess on on the field like get, get away from I, I i think he'll be very adept at just like breaking the first tackle and getting a few extra yards just consistently you know i think that comparison to robert woods is pretty pretty accurate like he's not the fastest guy but he's just such a playmaker and that's what robert woods was or is he just runs jet sweeps once in a while things like that makes weird moves yeah it just offers a level of uh dependability i guess where like you know he's i feel like this phrase is overused but he he'll he can act as like a safety blanket you know yeah. Just a guy that you can check down to if you if Jared Goff is in trouble or just hit him on over the middle slant and breaking type routes. Yeah, I think he definitely needs another wide receiver to be out on any scheme he is in though cuz he can't perform as a wide receiver one, I don't think. And basically yeah, in this and game, I, but I don't think you usually you don't necessarily expect your primary slot receiver to uh be your number one like a lot of times those guys who are playing in the slot and our number ones are also being moved outside and he did that a little bit at usc you know he played inside and out so there's i mean potential i guess for that but even if he just kind of takes over that slot role and and is the long-term answer there i think that's just like i said great value at a fourth round draft pick yeah and if this guy isn't starting as one of the top three or four wide receivers that's what i consider starting then that's insane because I, they have nobody at wide receiver yeah i think his only or his only uh competition will be uh quintez cephas as like a big slot role but i but i don't necessarily think that cephas i i i would be surprised if cephas won that job because i mean big slots can be um they could be valuable, but I think they're much better as kind of like a supplemental, like have that as an option, but not necessarily like always have your slot guy be a slower possession type receiver. And I'd also like to add that this guy's father was Mr. Universe, <laughs> which is the most interesting fact I think of any of the Lions draft picks in like the last five years. But. I I, I think more significantly, his brother is on the Packers as well. <laughs> Equinemius St. Brown. It's going to be fun to see these two teams go head-to-head. Hopefully Rodgers isn't playing. It's going to be Jordan Love. All right, so that's Amon Ross St. Brown. Great slot receiver. Could, <clears throat> excuse me. Will likely have, uh, like, a job as a starter on this team day one because of how weak this receiver room is um which also kind of is it's going to be hard to measure like how successful his training camp is because like if he gets a starting role it's not going to be insanely impressive you know what i mean like it's not like he has someone to beat out for it like you mm-hmm. said quintus Sevis, i guess is the one but that's not really that much competition but um he's going to be an exciting player you know he's he's the only like right he's the most exciting playmaker the stereotypical playmaker, like the, the just the receiver, the running back. He's he's the most exciting we got out of in the draft. Um, and finally, Jared Goff might have a little bit more cushion now. It's not gonna it's not gonna necessarily save him from the lack of outside receivers, uh, but it's just good to have another weapon. Uh, so after that, we have Derek Barnes, linebacker. Um, Derek Barnes kind of reminds me of a Michigan State linebacker. Um, 
he's just got like that old fashioned body type where he's just like broad shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's muscled up. He's he just he just he just squats in the backfield and just waits. Uh, he he was a three year starter, which is you know pretty impressive. He he has good experience. Um, there's a reason he was this late. There's a reason he's a fourth rounder. It's because he, he's not necessarily special in any in, in any way. But he's a solid linebacker. He's projected a little bit higher than that, I believe. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that um, so his first two years in college, he was actually a D end. He didn't even play off ball linebacker his first two years. So he's he's literally been at the position for one year. So I think part of the the reason he draft or he was picked here is like we talked about the high athletic profile. And, you know, he was he was very productive his his first year as a um as an off-ball linebacker, but he wasn't really asked to drop into coverage a whole lot. So that's going to kind of be what we're watching for is a guy who hasn't really played much coverage in his football career, kind of see if he can adjust to that, like the zone coverages that middle linebackers and off-ball linebackers need to be, um, you know, used to. Yeah, I like the position that the Lions went here, linebacker. I wanted them to possibly draft two linebackers in this one so i'm very happy they at least got one they traded up for this pick and when they did i was almost certain that it was going to be jabril cox jabril cox was still on the board and i'm still a little muffled by the fact that they didn't get jabril cox it it still shocks me it's like jabril cox projected late second round balls to mid fourth alliance trade up and they get this guy with a lack of experience so brad holmes must really see something because i don't know what they're doing well i I was with you in a desire for jabril cox i did think it would be fun to see him uh, yes on this team but um i guess um it didn't. Jab- it didn't muffle me as much as it did you, Paul. <laughs> Muffled. I don't think that's but, uh, the right use. But uh, no, I I think uh, Jabril Cox and Derek Barnes do two different things, and they are already kind of got a athletic coverage linebacker that the, the type that Jabril Cox would be in. Alex Anzalone, and he's not necessarily a long term solution, but he's still you know he kind of fills the same role that a Jabril Cox would have. And whereas Derek Barnes is more of the like outside linebacker kind of defend against the run and, you know, hopefully develop some um, coverage skills, but just kind of play sideline to sideline, be athletic and, and just use that to his advantage. Yeah. So a, a guy that like, that is not a lock to make the team. I, I wouldn't say I think that's likely he does, but um, a guy who has a lot of upside. I, he, um, uh, he, his ceiling isn't necessarily high, but the fact that he's newly a linebacker and he already you know had a productive year and he, he looks like he's solid. Um, and again, he kind of possesses that uh, ability to bull rush. He can kind of be that guy who you know has a chance to get in the backfield. So let's say they bring up more packages where the linebackers start blitzing because we didn't. I don't know. We didn't see a lot of blitzing in Patricia, let alone linebackers blitzing. So it'd be interesting to see him in a position where he can like thrive with that kind of situation. Yeah, and I absolutely think we'll see some more of that with with this new defense being installed. And I just, I'm just so excited to see this 
new, like more modern style defense that we just haven't really seen with the Patricia Quintricia area or era. And I, I think Derek Barnes is whether regardless of what you think about him as a prospect, you know, he fits that kind of the, that mold, that athletic um, sideline to sideline type player. So I'm just, you know, I'm excited that they are showing a commitment to getting these type of players and like transforming this defense into what is better suited for the modern NFL. Yeah, so that's that's Barnes right there. Let's move on to their last draft pick, Jamar Jefferson. You want to introduce us to Jamar, Paul? This running back was projected in the fifth round. The Lions were able to swindle the Cleveland Browns out of their seventh round pick. For a running back out of Oregon State. And he is going to complete this running back situation in Detroit. Now they have Jamal Williams, who I think is running back one in Detroit, not DeAndre Swift. But DeAndre Swift will be a solid running back two. And you add Jamar Jefferson, a rookie who I think will get some playing time. Unlike that fifth rounder or sixth rounder from New Mexico State last year who they released. That was a horrible pick by the Quintricia era. But now we see an amazing pick. I wish they got Shakir Brown out of MSU, the cornerback, <laughs> but second best possible option there at 257. You know, I'm a hardcore Spartan fan, and I, I can't lie to myself and say they should have drafted Shakir Brown. <laughs> Dude's like 5'9 and is so slow. <laughs> There's a reason that he didn't No, no, he's got amazing fundamentals amazing fundamentals literally that's all he does not have any upside he is like he is like a, he he would be signed as like maybe practice squad he's like and I, and like i said i love shakir brown i i think he's decent i think for his size he's the best you can get and for his speed he's the best you can get but he's also so small and so slow so there's that that's like the least dumb thing you said <laughs> but man the disrespect to DeAndre Swift, dude. What did DeAndre Swift do to you? Yeah, Paul, I really don't understand. You are like... literally the la the only human on earth who thinks that Jamar Jefferson, the Oregon State running back, projected in the fifth round is going to come in and just magically steal his start. No, no, he's not going to come in and take DeAndre Swift. <laughs> so you are genuinely insane if you think that. Well, I didn't say that. I, I had him firmly behind uh, Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. But I still, I, I just don't understand three. why you don't think DeAndre Swift will be the starter when he's clearly shown. And his, I mean, I guess I won't say he's clearly shown, but, you know, there's been like a dedication to the run game and kind of just developing it around him. They didn't have Jamal Williams before. This guy is a starting running back in the NFL. He just is sitting behind Aaron Jones. Do you know what I forgot? Paul plays fantasy too much, and every yeah. once in a while, I hate that so well, much. Well, and Paul. that's the thing is, if Aaron Jones is sitting and Jamal Williams was in the lineup, Paul knew that he was good for a lot of fantasy points. So the, yep. the, that's where these are. Yep, this is not a well-informed football take. <laughs> Let me tell you, folks, this is literally I am decent at uh, at beating people in fantasy. So I um. Let me tell you, the rest of us at Motown Microcast don't have holes in our brains, and we do believe that DeAndre Swift is a great running back. He's a great running back, and he will be QB or he will be RB one. I, I yeah. 
he's going to be the starting running back. They've right. said as much. They build it around him. Like you said, they almost seem to scheme the running game around him last year. Right. They yeah. saw potential in these guys. Like yeah, it, It's not going to just be replaced immediately. Yeah, this new system will be no different. But I, I do think, um, I guess to talk about Jamar Jefferson as a player. <laughs> Poor Jamar. Um, well, I, I think it's interesting, and I wonder if um, them picking him there was kind of tipping their, their cap that um, the news came out recently that Carry on Johnson was waived. So, you know, uh, right away he has a, a pretty clear path to the roster as the running back three. So, you know, I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, if you can get a contributor in the seventh round, you know, that's obviously what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and, you know, like I said earlier, I think running backs, th- that type of position is a little bit easier to find value like that, but. Value in the seventh round, regardless, is... That's impressive, yeah, because yep. seventh round, a lot of the times, it's just kind of like you're looking for that guy to come in. You're just calling... Practice dip. squad. You're calling dibs on UDFAs, pretty yep. much. Yep, yep, essentially. And and the fact that Jamar Jefferson was projected in the fifth round, um, th- that's another reason Paul uh, really liked Jamar Jefferson, is because he kept going, like relatively early in the um, in the draft game he played all the time. So he's got a little bit more love for him, so that explains that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like you said, if the fact that he can come in here and be productive, it's never a bad thing. That's yeah. Never a bad and, thing. And you know, he's not really, I, I think he's actually, uh, tested rather poorly as a running back, but I, I think his, so his play style, he's kind of like a one cut running back, like just kind of get downhill fast and make the right reads. And I don't know. And just kind of be this all around like he's not crazy athletic and he's not like Derrick Henry type of run you over, but he's gonna hit holes hard and he's gonna get just kind of churn out yards, and I, I think there's definitely gonna be a role for him on this team and I'm excited to see how how he'll be able to fill it. Yeah, so those are your Lions draft picks. Uh, let's get right into the round table here. Draft superlatives. Great idea, Ryan. By the way, I love it. I love superlatives so much. They're so fun. Um, so let's just start off with a fun one then. Lions roundtable draft superlatives. Who has the best name? I feel like Paul's gonna have fun with this. So let me hand, let me hand it to Paul. Oh, I wish you didn't give it to me first. I just can't pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that uh, corner <laughs> out of Syracuse. Well, you gotta at least try to say his name. <laughs> You give me the first letter. Here, yeah, read this. Read Alex's screen. Oh, Melifano. No, what's the first name? I thought to Melifano. <laughs> You're pretty close. Okay, Paul's pick is Afatu Melifano. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna pick the obvious one right here. It's Amon Ross St. Brown. You don't. You don't be the sun guy. You are not named after the sun god for nothing. That is the best name. Amon Ross St. Brown. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of going to go, like, honorable mention. Like, not necessarily. You're just kind of one that I think is underrated, I'll say. And that's Jamar Jefferson. That I, is a I good name, a good, JJ. I, I think it's especially a good-sounding running back name. I can't. I can't. Jamar Jefferson. Jamar Jefferson sounds like a running back. It is such a... So to... (laughs) Jefferson. 
rushes to the yeah that that just you can just hear like the sports mm-hmm. talk and the, the alliteration for a running back is always jay jay like josh jacobs god i didn't think of that aspect dude oh my god <laughs> see i was so that's I was, my that's my underrated name i like it the dark horse yeah because <laughs> i mean my best name is kind of objectively amon ross st brown it, yeah yeah but as much as i loved hearing paul try to pronounce it i will say <laughs> the thing is paul started really nice there like the ifatu and then Melophon <laughs> he kind of, kind of trailed off there, tried to hide that he didn't know how to say the end. But I, but I appreciate it. Um, so now, a little bit more serious here. Highest ceiling. Do you want to go ahead and go first, Paul? Who has the highest ceiling out of all of them? Jamar Jefferson. This guy could be a starter in the NFL oh easily. I'm not easy. I, I don't think he's going to be the Lions RB1, <laughs> at least not for a couple of years. But it's possible. Like in two or three years, that this guy is the Lions' main guy. Is I don't know how long they're gonna have Jamal Williams, and if I'm right, I don't really think DeAndre Swift will be with the team for too long. I think he'll be like a upgrade carry on. But I love this pick so much. Um, while your logic was simply ludicrous, (laughs) I'm I'm glad you picked Jamar Jefferson. Just as I don't know. Yeah, because that's not. It's not right. <laughs> it's objectively not right. So I love it. <laughs> I mean, man, I hate to do it. I hate to do it. I can't not pick Penny Sewell. This dude has the ability to literally be a Pro Bowl until he retires. Like, I don't want to overhype this, but this genuinely could be like a franchise left tackle. I ca- I can't not pick him. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm tempted to say the same, but I guess I, I'll go with um with Onzerike. Yeah, that was that's because that was close. I, I I just feel like I think if you have a true like penetrating pass rushing interior defensive lineman, I I think those are rare enough that they're kind of invaluable. You know, like obviously he's a special case, but you look at the impact a guy like Aaron Donald has on a team. Or, like, to a lesser degree, you know, um, guys like, I guess, or in the past, like a Gerald McCoy or a Sue when in his heyday. And even yep. now, he's he's still a disruptor. But, but like, you saw the value of a guy like that. Like, I, I, I think um, if he can even have, like, I don't know, any semblance of, like, the Aaron Donald type impact. Or role, I should say. Maybe not. Role, yeah, I think role is the better term. Um, see, I, I see right where you're coming from, though. The ceiling on this guy is also is, is also massive to me. And, and it's, it's really hard to pick one because this class is just – the athletic profile is so much just better. And that's what you've taken into consideration. It. When you've taken ceiling, it's usually guys mm-hmm. who have, like, the intangibles or just the athletic strength to put it together. Yeah. I, I, it's I, half the draft class. Oh, yeah, but I think – the first three picks could all be argued as having uh, yeah. potentially just crazy impact and very high ceiling. <sighs> Paul, I just, I'm so, I can't believe Paul picked Jamar Jefferson. It's like the literal last one I would have picked. Other than, no, I guess Derek Barnes. He does. I don't think Barnes has a high ceiling, but but Jamar Jefferson, Paul. I just oh my god. But at least Derek Barnes has an athletic profile to back him. That's that is not something Jamar Jefferson has. <laughs> Keep in mind, when I'm talking about high ceilings, I'm going them, like, based off of where they got drafted. 
you're trying to retroactively fix what you said, and I respect that you're still standing by. You know you're wrong, and you know that you know you're wrong. But let's move on to the biggest bust potential. Who 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 can just fall apart? Um, oh, important to note, based on their draft position, according to Paul. Um, I don't. I, I'm gonna go on on Zurique. I like. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I was gonna go the same. I think he could also just because you know you have to pick somebody here. Yeah, I mean, you could pick a guy like Jamar Jefferson, but I don't think his. I don't think it's considered. I don't think a... the impact of him doing bad would just you know it, it would be a lot different than. And us. that's not something you could use to argue against Holmes down the road. You're not gonna argue that his seventh round right. running yeah. back didn't hit. You're gonna argue that his second round what people may not have thought was the best issue, then you're going to argue yeah. that again. Especially them. considering just the dreadful second round. Some of them that, that oh had with, you know, Tabor and, and Tavai. And, uh, uh, yeah. And, and even Carrion Johnson, you know, as much as you hate to say it. And he had some good uh, moments, That makes me so sad. He was a second I, round pick dude, in, in 2018. And now I, have a, I have a football card of him. It has, it's so cool. It has like a piece of his jersey, a piece of his football. <sighs> Stuff like that. It's numbered was, out of 25. It's one of 25. I, he just seemed like such a down-to-earth guy. He's so fun. And, I follow yeah. him on, on uh, Twitter. Yeah, but he's such a good Twitter He's follow. just chill, dude. He's, oh, yeah, I miss him. But I, I agree. I think it owns Enrique just because when you rely on athletic profiles well, it sucks because it's you can't predict it, but injuries. One injury derails it. You know what I mean? It, it can derail it. Right. I, I think the biggest bust is going to be Derek Barnes. I don't think he's going to be with the team in a couple of years. And that happens with a lot of draft picks. A lot of people don't talk about how the average NFL career is like two, three years. So, And I think he's going to be one of those guys. I think the Lions will rue the day that they traded up and didn't take Jabil Cox. Yeah, they're going to rue the day they didn't get a backup safety and instead they got a guy who, who was in and out of the NFL away in the, in the fifth round or whatever he was. That... Was it fourth round? What was Derek Barnes? Fourth. fourth. Yeah, that's going to be... You're right, Paul. That's the biggest bust is the fourth round linebacker. You, you got me. God, I can't... Paul is devolving, I think. He has returned to monkey. <laughs> when you're talking about busts, okay, where they got drafted does matter. If Mitch Trubisky got drafted in the fifth round, people wouldn't consider him a bust, but he got drafted in the top five. Bro, you're literally making an argument against yourself right now. Derek Barnes is like, wouldn't be considered a bust because he's a fourth round pick. Yes, but you also have to take in context that the Lions traded up, drafted a linebacker, and a linebacker that was supposed to pick be picked a lot higher, Jabil Cox, is going to be good, but and Paul, the Lions are going to regret not having him. You can't make a definitive statement like that based on um, mock drafts. Like, just because on, in the mock drafts he went in the third round doesn't mean that every team had him. Like, you know, obviously, as with everybody, there's a reason they fall. Yes. But also in your fourth-round pick, especially an early fourth-round pick that you traded up to get, let's keep that in mind, you expect this guy to at least play some role at some point. And my prediction is that he's going to be that guy that doesn't. Just because you talk more doesn't mean you make a good point. You blabbered on a lot about just absolute garbage, and I want to call you out for it. You made you're making weird choices and you're defending him and I love it, Paul, and that's why you're such an asset to the show is because I love hearing you 
just dig a, the deepest hole for yourself <laughs> and somehow try and dig yourself out. And if you were in a room with just casual football fans, you would do it because you do a great job of it. It's just the thing is, it's just not solid what you're saying. I mean, you're saying he's a big bust and he's, I think he has honestly the lowest ceiling or the, the or the lowest floor out of a lot of these guys. Like, I don't know. He's just kind of, he's a well-rounded guy who is expected to be like a, not a practice squad, but maybe a decent backup. So anyways, that's a lot of arguing for just biggest bust potential. <laughs> um, let's go most athletic. This is a fun one. This one's kind of hard. Yeah, and so I think, like, most athletic relative to their position. Yes, probably. yes. Um, okay, I'll take this one first. Um, I'm actually going to go with uh, Malafonwu. Um, this guy, he had uh, crazy explosion um, numbers. I think he jumped, like, almost a 42-inch vertical or something. And he... Um, if you look at like the RAS scores, I think it was either him or Sewell that had the top uh, in the draft class. But um, but yeah, he he just combines like size and length with explosion, and I, I think um, that will kind of be like what he hangs his hat on in the NFL is his athleticism and his ability to like fly around and get into the right spots. So. I'll go with Melifon for this one. So it's it's been a consistency with me tonight, but I'm gonna go Penesul here. Um, just speed and strength, the two S's with athleticism. He's he's speedy. He's so fast for for how big he is. I mean, like I said, you watch the tape of this guy. It's interesting to see him. He he doesn't necessarily fly around like um like a Melon a Melifon Wu does, but he does have. Uh, he had for his size. He has speed. He's so strong. He just, he wins against almost any competition he has. I I have to make him most athletic, but I definitely see Melifonwu. That makes sense to me. I'm gonna continue my trend of unpredictability tonight, and I'm gonna go with Amina St. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> because this this guy's ability to escape the first tackle and get those extra yards that's not something you see every day. It's just quickness. It's not speed. It's not raw speed, but quickness that he has, that he's that lack in some of these other players. So I love it. Amina, Amina. Oh my God! I can't even argue with you with that, Paul. Amina. So Paul's most athletic is Amina. Yeah. Um interesting argument yeah yeah especially since we're considering considering position compared to other wide receivers dude literally had like a slow 40 kind of dude yeah like it (laughs) i i will say i agree his name is gray amina is just a great (laughs) name but to each their own uh so what is the best value pick here let uh let's go to paul first because Paul's obsessed with like value in the pick because of that draft game. So go ahead and kick it off, Paul. I'm actually going to go with Aleem McNeil as much as I want to go with Jamar Je- Jefferson here. Uh, he should have gotten drafted a lot sooner. He's a DB, which the Lions desperately needed. And that's basically it. Why not? 
So with this one, this one's hard for me as well because it's kind of like we were talking like most athletic is most of the class. I think most of this class is pretty, pretty value. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are pretty valuable picks. Uh, I, see, I hate, I hate thinking about saying Penesul again, but like, I, I think he was the best in terms of his position other than Trevor Lawrence this year. So like in a vacuum, the second best prospect in the draft and the fact that the Bengals for some screw all reason passed on him and, and the Dolphins don't get enough hate for passing on him. The Dolphins offensive line is not that good. If you look at them, they're stati- statistically, according to Pro Football Focus, they are a worse offensive line than the Bengals. They could have used a guy like that. I, I, I guess I think, while that is probably true, I think they were at least more equipped to take a skill position player than the Bengals. Like, I think it's really... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think the Dolphins made a worse decision than Cincinnati, mainly because Cincinnati had Jamar Chase available. Miami didn't. They went with Jalen Waddell, who is a good wide receiver, is likely going to compliment Devontae Parker. But this was pointless. They should have gone with Panay or traded down if it was available. Uh, no, I, I, I completely disagree. Uh, Justin Jefferson was like that. I think the, uh, the Bengals passing on him is way worse. I get what your argument is making. Cause like Justin Jefferson, I, I think is a lot, not a lot better, but like is definitely better than Jalen Waddle. But they were, um, they were in such a better position to, to draft like that. The, the dolphins were, that is to say the dolphins were in the position to pick like a, a, a skill position player. And the Bengals are not. The Bengals need some of those foundational players. So, hey, as if it falls to the Lions, I'll take it. But, again, though, with the second round, Onzorike, oh, my God, Onzorike, he, uh, he's arguably the best defensive tackle in the class. There was also uh, Barrymore. Is that, yeah, Barmore, but, yeah, or Barrymore. He was, like, he was kind of the guy who was the number one D tackle. But I think... There could have been a case made for him. I'm just going to go Penesul. I'm going to go with my favorite guy in the draft. I'm going to go stereotypical. Penesul, chalk. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with kind of a, I guess, kind of a similar theme. I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown here. Because, um, like, I, I even I brought it up earlier, but if he can truly just come in and, like, lock down that slot receiver role, then that's just awesome value at fourth round. And I think you, you know, I – I'm really excited to see him because I think he has that skill set available to kind of just come in and like lock that down um, right away. So if they do in fact get, you know, one of the mainstays for this offense in the fourth round, I think that value is basically unbeatable. All right. And let's go with our least favorite and favorite draft picks. I, I, I'm going to say Paul for last year. Cause I know his is going to be good. He's going to say some wild garbage. Um, so and when we say least favorite, we're not talking about like we condemn these players. We lo- I think I speak for all of us when I say we love these players already, even though they're not in the Honolulu Blue yet. We love them. Um, it's just in terms of like value, in terms of what they did, in terms of needs, just a guy that we could have seen better. Uh, and for that, I'll go ahead and start off. I agree with Paul. I, I don't know about trading up for Derek Barnes. Um, he's got a decent athletic profile, but I, again, I, I don't know about giving up 
has that stick. I don't know. I, to me, just let someone fall. You've done it already in the draft. Just let someone fall to you. Uh, I, I don't necessarily love trading up. I like Derek Barnes, but if I have to pick one, I'll go Derek Barnes. Yeah, I can definitely see that point where I was kind of tempted to go with him because of the fact that they traded uh, traded up to get him. Yeah. But um, I'm going to go a slightly different direction. I'm going to say Onzerike. The only reason I'm saying that is because kind of like when considering um, value, I, I just like the only reason for this pick is because I would have rather had Morig or Merrig as the pick. Yeah. Yep. Like, you know, I it's it's kind of hard in a draft class like this to really have like one draft pick that you're not really like intrigued about. Like, so for that reason only, but. Don't get me wrong. I'm still very excited for Onzerike. And then, look, real quick, before we hand it to Paul so we can give both of us, or both at the same time, uh, my favorite, I, I'm i going to say Panay Sewell. I can't say anyone but Panay Sewell. I, I am in love with this man. He's so he's so beautiful. I say his name for fun sometimes. It's at my girlfriend's house, and I'll just like say to myself, Panay Sewell. I, I, it's, it's, I don't know what's going on with it, but he, I just think about him too much. So Panay Sewell is my favorite. I love him. Yeah, um, I think I'm gonna ride it out with uh, with Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, I think that's kind of. I was really excited to see how they would address receiver, and I think they kind of. I, I like the way they he, Brad Holmes went about it, where you know if if they get him and like let's say one of Perryman or Tyrell Williams pans out, and then you get you know like let's say a receiver with your second first round pick next year. Um, then that might be your receiving room. Like you might have, you might be able to build from there. So I think. No, I really like the uh, St. Brown pick. You know, I didn't want the Lions to draft a wide receiver too early. I wanted them to get a wide receiver later in the draft if they were going to get one. And that was, to me, the perfect person and place to get a receiver. Uh, For my least favorite pick, I'm going to have to go with Aleem McNeil. However, I do completely agree with Ryan and Alex on their picks. Barnes and Washington D tackle. Say it. <laughs> A new was boot girl. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it if I haven't say heard it. <laughs> Somebody else say it first so I can try to mimic them. Onzerike. Onzerike. <laughs> So is he? Is that your pick? No, I'm going with Aline McNeil. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just I didn't understand picking two D tackles. I understand they're going long term. I understand they're going big guys in value, but I didn't think this was necessary. D tackle wasn't on the list of team needs, and they went ahead and get two of them within the first two days before getting any of the team needs. I thought that was insane. It, ho- hopefully, it pans out though. You know, and then my favorite pick. It's Jamar Jefferson. <laughs> I mean, th- this was probably the second best value <laughs> in the draft behind cornerback from Syracuse <laughs> that I can't pronounce. I- I'm going to attempt to pronounce it here. <laughs> oh. Do you want me to say it first? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Okay, no. all right, go for it. Afidu Metifano. <laughs> There's no 
Yeah, whatever his name is, I'm just going to call him the cornerback from uh, Syracuse for right now. But Jamar Jefferson, he fits well in that RB3 category, soon to be uh, potentially RB2 if uh, Swift or Jamal Williams don't pan out. I, I think Williams definitely will, though. <laughs> and he's just, he's from Oregon State. And as much as I like the dogs, the beavers are hilarious, too. Like, up in surveillance. Yeah, I just find it hilarious that he came from Oregon State, to be honest. <laughs> That's the most Paul answer I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I like the seventh round running back, and I think he can replace our RB1. I by think the, my third, the third string running back is going to be more impactful than their starting right tackle. <laughs> Oh, well, I think that just about does it for the episode. Thanks for listening in. Next week, we'll take it back to like a bit more normal. Um, recently, the Red Wings season ended. We can talk about that. We can talk about end of season stuff there. Pistons are coming to an end. We'll talk about that. And then the Tigers are the worst thing happening to Detroit right now. So there's that. Well, thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at MMegacast. We update everything there, essentially. New articles even by, written by Paul Cassell himself. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. Thanks for listening.